0: Good evening everyone. That's one of you. Good evening everyone. There we go. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. Great to see all of you. Thank you for joining us here tonight for midweek Bible study. Those of you that are here with us on campus, great to see you and be with you. And those of you that are joining us via live stream, we say welcome to you as well. I want to give you a few announcements this evening. Uh, First of all, we want to remind you that uh, Friday, August 18th, the section's Section 2, Children and Youth Rally, will begin at 7 p.m. And also on Sunday, August 20th, move the mission sale in the lobby after service. And if you, This is a bake sale, and if you would like to bake something and contribute to that effort, we ask that you please contact Sister Tanya Coley and coordinate with her. And as always, you can stay up to date with the things going on around Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on that events tab on our website. I'm going to ask you to stand with us this evening uh, just for just a moment. We want to bring uh, a special request, and it's been um, requested by uh, Sister Lakin that we pray for her mom, Trisha. and um, God knows the details, but we want to lift her up in prayer and also pray for our service this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that uh, there is not a single thing in our lives that ever catches you by surprise. There's not a situation that ever has you puzzled. Or confused and wondering what to do so Lord we ask that you move on Trisha's behalf tonight I pray that you would touch this need and minister to her I pray that those around her would be comforted Lord that there would be peace that there would be confidence in you and your power and your ability and we give you the glory for it in Jesus name amen amen God bless you you can be seated before pastor comes I was wondering if y'all could handle something a little heavy tonight Overwhelming response of yes. Awesome. Does God ever seem wrong to you? You know, Jesus perfectly knew the Father's will, and yet in Matthew 26, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus still had to wrestle through that time and come to terms with the difference between what he preferred in his flesh and what the Father willed. And then he had to walk forward into that. Jesus did that. But what about you and me? What happens for us in that space between our prayers and God's answers? Between what seems good to us and what seems good to God. Do we keep coming to him like Jesus did? Do we keep bringing our struggles to him? Acknowledging that we're being tempted by this persuasive thought. Or by this sneaking suspicion that somehow God has got something wrong in our lives. You know, Jesus shows us in the Garden of Gethsemane that it is okay for us to bring our struggles to God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us that. And Jesus even shows us that it is sometimes necessary to do so because it is in being honest with God and praying as we wrestle that we actually find a way forward. When God seems wrong to you, and sometimes your emotions, and sometimes even your logic will tell you insist to you that he has somehow gotten something wrong in your life I want you to know that he is not wrong know that there is a way forward and it starts with wrestling in prayer with God with bringing your feelings to him and asking him to show you what is right and what is not sometimes You might even find yourself praying, God, I hate this. I hate this, but help me feel how you feel about it. I choose to believe that God and his ways are good, perfect, and true. I choose to believe that. And that fact was no less true on Good Friday than it was on Easter Sunday. That fact is no less true whenever we are in a deep valley of pain and confusion or if we are on that mountaintop of joy and victory. It is still true that he is good and perfect and true. God remains all-powerful, all-knowing, and benevolent. And in my experience, Grace Church, God is worth trusting. The story of Christ's suffering on the cross tells us that it is possible to look at life and what is happening at that moment and gain no understanding of how this can possibly be right, but yet still trust God that somehow it is. Christ's death on the cross shows us that. Y'all think about it. God bless you this evening.
1: Good evening, everybody. And thank you, Jason, for your presentation here tonight. And more often than not, what he presents is very thought-provoking and makes you do some brain stretch. Uh, tonight was no different great to see all of you and uh, thank you for being here Uh, much much appreciated and uh, I want to jump right into our presentation tonight and uh, last Wednesday night if you'll remember I made a presentation and then did a segue into our Bible study and I talked to you about the importance of obedience to the word of God there's a lot of Bible. I only just scratch the surface. There's a lot of Bible about obedience. And it's actually the heart of being a disciple. Uh, disciple discipline goes hand in hand. And I believe if you want to be a disciple of Christ, it begins, of course, with faith. Yes, it does. But equal to that, or more important, is obedience. There's sometimes your faith can get weak and sometimes non-existence it feels but obedience has to remain Uh, we have to be obedient to the word of god last wednesday night after i segued out of uh, the obedience presentation i talked to you about uh, soul winning uh, wednesday night before last i concluded that bible study with with reaching people reaching people with the gospel and it's something that you will begin hearing more and more from our pulpit and uh, as the Lord leads but uh, I believe there's people around us that are absolutely reachable uh, that could be brought to the house of God that could be brought to a relationship with God and I I want to say up front before I begin a, a quick review is bringing people to church is not soul winning bringing people to church doesn't end your soul winning responsibilities there has to be um, some follow-up there has to be uh, some friendship there has to be relationship and what have you so let me review a little bit uh, tonight about last Wednesday night and then we'll go into our presentation tonight I talked to you last Wednesday night about reaching the religious people about reaching religious people who most oftentimes are not satisfied with whatever religious persuasion uh, they profess to be. Uh, it would be amazing to know statistics, and I've not taken the time to look that up, but how many people were raised a certain way that no longer attend that particular denomination or religion as far as a church goes, they just give up and quit going. Um, let me talk to you a little bit more about tonight and uh, a review and then I'll jump into our Bible study uh, tonight I talked to you last Wednesday night about if you want to plan a path that would win people to God if you want to do it you think about it in your mind and say well I think this is the best way I talked to you about talked to you about that last Wednesday night is God doesn't do everything according to our expectations and uh, I think we need to be aware of that we need to be open to that. Uh, I think one of the greatest conflicts, one of the greatest challenges you'll find in in trying to win somebody, having them obey the gospel is is partial truth will be one of your greatest challenges in talking to people because a lot of people will take a small measure of biblical truth and believe that that will save them. Uh, And we know that the Bible goes and far more oftentimes than what people think that it does. So it's our job uh, to show them uh, the full extent of the truth. I could go on and on tonight, but I want to jump into our, our Bible study tonight. I want to make a couple of statements to everybody here tonight, and I, don't, I can't think of a person here tonight where this would be any kind of an issue, but I'd, be, I'd feel better if I went on ahead and said it. That if you want to win somebody to God, taking the approach that I'm right and you're wrong is the greatest way not to win them Uh, people are not going to have their intelligence insulted and I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna experience the most with a lot of people that you want to win to God that are of some religious persuasion but do not continue to go to church anywhere they will say well it this saved my mother or my grandmother believed this Uh, I had a family member that believed this. My spouse believes it a certain way or not. Uh, you will encounter that. You have to be very careful in leading people to more truth. And I, I, could, I have my own personal experiences that back that up, particularly in Youngstown when a woman heard our Bible study presentation and believed it. She said, yep, that's right, and even talked to us about baptizing her She was of another religious persuasion. She didn't go there anymore. hadn't been in years. Um, Her husband passed away. She remarried, and we were teaching this new couple, newly married. And um, about an hour after they got home, her husband called me and said, you're going to have to talk to her. She is just weeping uncontrollably, and I can't do anything with her. And what happened is she confessed, if you will, professed is a better word. She professed that she believed what we were teaching and it occurred to her on the way home that her husband believed something different. And for her to endorse what we presented to her would mean that her husband wasn't saved. And she ultimately said, if he's not saved, her first husband, then I'm not gonna be saved either. And she had a heart attack and died about a year later, a year or so later. So I've experienced these things and you have to be very, very careful when you're talking to people, especially in our culture today about the Bible, the second thing that I want to mention tonight is um, the Word of God, the Word of God in our culture today is not as prevalent, the power of the Word, obeying the Word of God is not as prevalent in our society today as it was 50 years ago. Um, you could hear a lot of people quote from the Word of God It's we're very rare that you hear somebody 50 and younger that knows a whole lot about the Bible. Um, there's been a huge fail, in my opinion, with the parents of those people. The Bible wasn't taught in the home. The, the families didn't attend church. So people don't know that much about the Bible. And this is where I said a few moments ago, what they do know, as small of an amount of a, as it may be, they cling to that, as their, their one main hope that they'll be saved because they know that. Whether they're obeying it or not, um, this runs rampant in apostolic circles. There's a lot of apostolic people that we know that just said, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe I have to do this. I don't believe I have to do that. I can do this if I want. I can't do that if I want. All of that. Um, and just tell the Bible. But out of my life, I just don't believe that anymore. So we've seen that run rampant in even apostolic circles. So if you want to approach people, it's very important that you know your Bible to some degree. You do not have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a degree from a theological institute. Just, just know your Bible. And the earlier this year, sowing seed for what was coming later this year, I went through two or three Wednesday night Bible studies showing you what Jesus taught and how the, uh, the apostles embraced it, how they interpreted it, how they presented it. It's on our church website if you want to go through a little re- reminder course. If you could just know that much, it would help you in showing people uh, a clearer way, a, little, a more excellent way. Um, So it's important that you know that but you don't have to be a bible scholar but the greatest thing you can present to someone in soul winning is your testimony Uh, people cannot argue with what you've experienced and what has happened to you so to begin tonight i'll ask the question about what about all the good christian people and i say that with all reverence and respect Um, what about all the good christian people Um, is it fair Jason kind of went in this direction a little bit. Is it fair for God to exclude all these good, sweet Christian people that we know from his covenant on a mere technicality? Is it fair for God to do that? And if they're not in covenant with God, as the Bible teaches, then why do they seem to be so blessed by God? The answer lies in a beautiful Old Testament type, typology. Um, There were two sons that was born of one man, born of two different women, born of uh, one father, a mother of one, another mother of the other. But only one of those babies grew up to be what was referred to as the son of promise. How does that happen? I want to spend a little time tonight. As a matter of fact, most of them, my, my presentation tonight on this story that all of you know so very well. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, uh, this won't be on the screen unless I look it up real quick, but it, it's okay, I didn't highlight it. In Genesis 17, verse 20, um, the Bible said, As far as Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him. This is God speaking. Concerning Ishmael, he said, God said, Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. Everybody hear that? This is with Ishmael. And you listen to that and you say, What is God doing? That's not the promised son of Abraham. But the next verse explains it. So let me read it this way. As far as Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. And I will make him a great nation. Verse 21, but. Everybody say "but." but. My covenant, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee as this set time in the next year. Yes, Abraham, he is your son. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him. Twelve princes shall he beget. I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant is not with him. God blessed him. We still have that, if you, if you will, that race of people that came from Ishmael. They're still on this planet. But they're not under God's covenant. As a matter of fact, as that nation progressed, they became under covenant with another God. Actually one that doesn't even exist. So I want you to notice that Ishmael gets many blessings. But only Isaac Gets a covenant. Watch this tonight and follow me for the next few moments. Old Testament covenant. As long as there were no children of Sarah and Hagar, excuse me, as long as there was no children of Sarah, Hagar was quite content to be a bondmaid. After all, her son Ishmael had love, gifts, favor, food, everything he could want throughout his childhood and even into his teen years he had no problem with any of abraham's other children until the promised heir was born new testament other christian religions are content to coexist with each other and fellowship around literally the lowest common denominator of what they have in common. They interpret God's blessing on them as his stamp of approval on what they preach and practice. An apostolic with a non-negotiable message throws this status quo into serious chaos. Everybody, understand? Y'all with me? Old Testament. Hagar... Abraham's bondmaid, Keturah, his wife after Sarah died, and all the other women that had relationships with Abram, according to Genesis 25, 1 through 6, had a much easier time of conceiving a child than Sarah did. But when Sarah conceived, she gave birth to the son of promise because the relationship was according to God's covenant, New Testament covenant. It is apparent that many other religions and groups have an easier time giving birth than the apostolic church because they preach a gospel that appeals to the flesh. Yes, they do. But if people are not being baptized in Jesus' name, no one is getting into the covenant, no matter how large the crowd. That's Bible. Everybody say amen. Old Testament covenant. covenant. Hagar's roots, Abraham's bondmaid, We're in Egypt, that's where she came from, a type of sin. And although she had a one-time intimate moment with Abraham, she knew her son would never have a covenant. Only the legitimate son of of a legal relationship, legal according to God's plan, had that. New Testament. Occasional intimacy with God that begets Children after the flesh is no substitute for covenant relationship. The children of the bond woman are fascinated by their Egyptian roots and they all do what they do is for the most part Egypt friendly. Old Testament covenant. It took the birth of Isaac to bring out the true nature of Ishmael. It took the birth of Isaac to bring out the true nature, nature of Ishmael. Imagine a 16 year old being so jealous that he would viciously persecute a three-year-old just because he was the heir. Ishmael, like his mother, had his roots in Egypt, and they were never eradicated and still aren't. New Testament. The watchword for a modern religion is tolerance without absolutes. That is so prevalent of so many religions... It doesn't matter what the Bible says we have to be tolerant I could tell you tonight and I have taught it from this pulpit many times if you choose to believe the Bible it says things in black and white very specific very to the point and a lot of wonderful religious organizations pay no mind to it. it doesn't matter because if we start preaching and teaching that we're going to lose too many people I know of pastors that have said that. I cannot preach the Bible because I'll lose too many people out of my church. I've had people tell me, if you would quit teaching so much of the Bible, Grace Church would grow and grow and grow. That's been since we've been here in this building. So the watchword for modern religion is tolerance without absolutes. A thin veneer of brotherly love covers the vast quagmire of conflicting doctrines and beliefs. That is, until God's absolute plan of salvation is preached, then the true fighting nature of the bondwoman's son comes out. Old Testament. The last straw was when Ishmael mocked Isaac. The day that Isaac was weaned from his mother, When he graduated to solid food, now he was to be taken seriously. The Bible said that Ishmael mocked him, and God agreed with Sarah that he and his mother should be cast out for this action. He was now not only outside the birthright covenant, but outside the blessing, the presence of Abraham, as well. The Bible said in Galatians 4.29, but as then He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So where the dividing line really comes is at the point of weaning, when the apostolic church preaches and practices the meat of the word. As long as they are walking toward truth, God has patience with them. But when they see it and reject it, God's presence lifts from them to some degree. Their work from that point is accomplished totally in the flesh. Notice the screen. Be sure to distinguish between the two in dealing with people. It's imperative when you're working with people you have to ask yourself are they walking toward the truth or are they walking away from the truth you have two completely different situations in working with people and I've heard stories about people come and they'll say I tried to work with them and I tried to work with them what these what people don't discern is the fact that sometimes people are walking away from truth backsliding are there a new convert walking towards the truth? You have apples and oranges when this happens, and they can't be treated the same way. Old Testament covenant. Because Hagar had a common law relationship with Abraham, God promised to make Ishmael great. But though he was blessed and multiplied, Ishmael still was not part of the covenant. I want to say right here in passing, that Ishmael made the choice. He couldn't be the covenant. We understand the, the scriptural story. But he could have been in much better shape had he chose to live under the roof with the covenant child. Build a good relationship with Ishmael. Make or, or Isaac, make Isaac your friend, Ishmael. Love him. And you will be under the blessing, never be the covenant, but you can be under the blessing more than being found out in the middle, a middle of a desert somewhere, starved to death, and the only thing that saved you was the appearance of an angel. <clears throat> Y'all with me so far? Everybody needs to understand tonight, God's blessing is never a sign of His blanket approval, but of only His inherent goodness. God always meets faith wherever he finds it. He will always meet faith wherever he finds it. But crowds, miracles, and blessings are not the seal of the covenant. It's not. If you were in my Sunday school class Sunday, you would know what the seal of that covenant was, and it was Isaac being circumcised. That never happened with Ishmael, and never has happened with that race of people. They have never come to terms with the requirement, the sign of the covenant. What is circumcision in the New Testament? Circumcision was replaced in the New Testament covenant with water baptism in the name of Jesus. And it's amazing to me that that's where people draw the line today. They'll even receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But being baptized in Jesus' name is an issue. I don't understand it. Old Testament covenant. The prophetic command to barren Sarah is to rejoice Because she ultimately ends up with more children than Hagar. That's because only covenant children count in God's sight. The Bible said in Galatians 4.27, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which has an husband. New Testament covenant. The application of that. The prophetic picture of the end time is one of rejoicing for the apostolic church because of the great revival God is bringing. It is not time to think small because you have been intimidated by the bondwoman in the past. It is time to enlarge our thinking. We have, I believe with all of my heart tonight, we have the covenant message. So this narrative revolves around the themes of posterity and land. Abraham was called by God to leave the house of his father Terah and settle in a land which was already settled by the descendants of Canaan. But God promised it to Abraham and his posterity. Yes, he did. Various candidates were put forward who might inherit the land after him, but all were dismissed except for Isaac, Abraham's son, by his half-sister Sarah. Abraham purchased the cave of the patriarchs at Hebron, as her grave when she died, thus establishing his right to that land. In the second generation, Abraham's heir Isaac was married to a woman from his own relatives, thus ruling the Canaanites out of any right to his inheritance. Abraham later married Keturah and had six more sons. But on his death, which he was buried beside Sarah... It was Isaac who received all Abraham's goods. It was Isaac that received all of Abraham's goods, not any of the other children of Abraham. While the other son received only gifts, the Bible said. In Matthew nineteen twenty four, Jesus said, And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. We all read this and... And we have our, our interpretations, but I, don't, I want to give you the, 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 the Greek definition of it. It's from a root word meaning fullness or abundance. So it's easier for a man who is, has fullness or abundance. It pictures a self-sufficient, full of their own goodness, very religious person is whom Jesus is describing here. When he said rich man, It comes from a root word that means self-sufficient, full of their own goodness, and very religious. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Again, the eye of a needle is not a little sewing needle that you push a thread through. It was a very tiny gate that a child could barely go through. That was called the eye of a needle. So Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich man to enter into to the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, the Bible said they were exceedingly amazed and said, Who then can be saved? And he said unto them, With men these, this is possible, but with God is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Where I mentioned a moment ago that it's imperative to learn if people are coming to God or if they're walking away from God The greatest friend of truth is a teachable spirit. And I want to lend all of you an idea based on an experience that I have learned. If people are not teachable and if they're not hungry for truth, it's going to be very hard, it's going to be very challenging to get them to come to know Jesus as we know Jesus tonight. So I want to give you a biblical pattern. I've given you a typology of it. I want to give you now a New Testament example. and We're we're familiar with it even though we don't hear a lot of this. The Bible said in Acts chapter 18 verse 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, was an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, mighty in the Scriptures, the man knew his Bible is what the Bible is saying. Bible said he came to Ephesus this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord this sounds like an amazing person i about to hear it I'm still in the Bible A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John the Baptist. That's as far as his education in Scripture The kingdom of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, that's as far as his knowledge went. So I would submit to you tonight that there was more for him. So whoever would meet him that knew about what had just happened after John the Baptist, it would take the right person to lead this man further into truth. It's going to take somebody that's very savvy, if you will. It's going to take somebody sensitive to the Holy Ghost, but somebody very sensitive to where this man was and his relationship with God. Let me submit to you tonight. Let me ask you a question. Was this man saved or not? ask some of you biblical theologians to study that for a little while and maybe we can have some more conversation about it privately I personally believe that he had a better shot at being saved than not he was given it all he had based on what he knew and that's where I I say with all of my heart had Apollos died prior to meeting Paul he had just been in the hands of God is all I can say let me tell you what happened to Apollos the Bible said he was mighty in Scripture you know what that tells me for that time he knew the law of Moses inside and out he followed all of that through and when John the Baptist came on the scene that's what the Bible is talking about he only knew of the baptism of John when John the Baptist came on the scene to some degree He had to turn his back on his upbringing, on what his mom and daddy probably believed, on what his family probably believed. And he went after this John the Baptist guy, who in the minds of most religious people was a kook. But the Bible said, apparently, I'm not trying to put words in the Bible's mouth, if you will, But he was baptized of John the Baptist. He had to have some element of faith, some element of revelation. I mean, John baptized Jesus, for crying out loud. So there was something going on here with Apollos, mighty in Scripture, the law of Moses, all of that. He knew the Hebrew, the Greek, and all of that. He knew it all, probably far more than we do. I would say he probably very well knew far more than we do. He was fervent in the spirit. The man was instructed in the way of the Lord and he taught diligently the things of God. But he wasn't in covenant. He wasn't. Because there was more of God for him after John's baptism. After he was baptized of John. What people don't understand about the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of John was unto repentance. It was was something people did to tell them, I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to turn around and go in the opposite direction I've been going. I'm willing to walk away from my prior religious beliefs in the law of Moses. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to start going in a different direction. Apollos bought into that. The Bible said he's, he spoke boldly in the synagogue. His wife, Priscilla, much the same way. They needed just a little more. They needed to be exposed to just a little bit more. There was something else that happened after John the Baptist. There was something that happened after John the Baptist that Apollos and his wife Priscilla, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, there was there was there were some things that, that they needed to hear. They needed to hear it out, and it would take the right person to take them by the hand, figuratively speaking, and lead them down that path. And I love the Bible, the way the Bible says it. In Acts eighteen twenty six, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when this is talking about Paul and when Aquila and Priscilla had heard they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly he didn't condemn him he didn't say you're wrong I'm right he said come let's talk about the Bible a little bit more and let me tell you how things are now that may be things that you've not heard before. It's imperative that we know this. It's imperative. I have taught Bible studies where I was called out publicly in front of a class of seven or eight people in a very tiny living room, and somebody challenged me on this I'm wrong, you're right concept. And I didn't address that person publicly. I took them off to the side, and as kindly as I could, I told them why. I was so passionate and and what I believed and taught and they knew a great part of it anyway so I don't debate I don't argue I don't do none of that if people are not interested in the Word of God is at least I know it then we'll just have a nice conversation about something else but if you are hungry I'll be happy to sit down and share the Word of God with you and I pray that if you're not hungry now you will be later the best opportunity for God to reach the religious who's not happy with their religion anymore, the best opportunity for, for God to reach these people is for a caring, concerned, apostolic person to find that one hungry heart and share with them what you have. Because oftentimes that one person will go to all of their friends and family and say, I have found more not you're lost and I'm saved it's not that I've just I've found more let me show you what I've found let me show you what I experienced I hunger for that to happen here at Grace Church you win that one person I've seen it happen all of my life and they go to their friends and relatives and tell them I'd love to see that happen but it's up to us to find that one person and I believe they're closer to us than what we care to think if we would be cognizant and sensitive to the moment that God is providing for us so if you'll the the masses can be affected if you look at what's happening on the foreign field that we hear from missionaries every time they come to Grace Church and if you even look at what happened in the book of Acts the one person that affected the masses of people and I'm concluding in Acts 3 it was a lame man at the temple gate in Acts 8 it was one anonymous Ethiopian treasurer Ethiopian eunuch In Acts 9, it was a Pharisee named Saul. In Acts 9, it was one coat maker named Darkus. In Acts 10, it was a Roman centurion named Cornelius. In Acts 14, it was one anonymous crippled man. In Acts 18, it was one seller of cloth named Lydia. In Acts 16, it was one anonymous Philippian jailer. In Acts 18, it was one ruler of the synagogue named Crispus. In Acts 18, it was one eloquent preacher named Apollos. These are people that that one person that God used to impact the masses. So let me conclude tonight by saying, and I want you to note what Aquila and Priscilla did not do. They did not set the apostolic message aside for the sake of fellowship with Apollos just because he preached Jesus. They did not deal with Apollos publicly, but rather privately, things that I've experienced myself. But note what they did do. They brought Apollos from where he was to where he needed to be by teaching him with a kind spirit they connected him with other apostolics immediately And when Paul came to Ephesus he found a group of disciples most certainly those of Apollos who had hungry hearts because in Acts chapter 19 verse 2 Paul asked them the question have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? and they said we've not heard as much whether there be any Holy Ghost these people are believed to be the disciples of Apollos and God honoring the work of Aquila and Priscilla. So once again, although these disciples believed in Jesus, Paul expected them to be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This event is recorded in Acts to set a precedent as to how to deal with religious people. So I want to answer the question tonight. They had already been baptized unto John's baptism, why wasn't that enough? John's baptism was only ordained of God to be temporary during the life of Christ. Apostolic baptism has to do with obeying the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But more than that, John's name was nameless. Apostolic baptism invokes the name of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have the misconception that the best way to win groups of religious people to the Lord is to win arguments but that only isolates and furthers us from them the best way to win groups of religious people is to win souls and no one can argue with a changed life and everybody said amen thank the Lord so I want to encourage everybody here tonight in conclusion as the old song says Lord lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me uh, that God would use us as a tool. And it's not going to surprise me one iota for somebody to walk in in the next Sunday or two with a friend, with a relative, that says, you know what, we were having a conversation and they were going through this and they were going through that, whatever it is, and it just opened a door that I could share with them what God has done for me. And they're hungry and they want to know more about Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm expecting that to happen in the next few Sundays to see what God is going to do. And I believe. Grace Church is ripe for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and for tremendous growth among people who are just simply hungry for more of Jesus, more uh, hungry for more of the Word of God. You believe that tonight? I do. So if you didn't grasp all that I said tonight, it was kind of a different presentation, feel free to go back and watch it again on our website when it's posted and uh, get it in your head. I can win somebody. I just need to be careful about how I go about doing it. Taking the word of God and just ramming it down somebody's throat don't work on, on anybody. I love steak, but I sure don't like getting beaten in the face with it. <laughs> just give it to me one little bite at a time, and it'll be really, really good. So take the word of God like that. Folks, let the Lord, let the Lord use you. Don't say, well, I can't do it. Yes, you can. I want to say to all of our married couples here tonight, To the man, if you could propose to your wife, you can witness to somebody. To the woman, if you could say yes, if you said yes to your husband, then you can witness to somebody. You say, I don't see the relevance because it takes a lot of courage to do both. For a man to ask that woman to spend the rest of your life with me and for that woman to say yes to that, it takes a lot of courage. So if you could do that, you can witness to somebody. Thank the Lord. If you can be a parent, you can witness to somebody. We all have the potential to do it. So let's do it. What do you say? Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your time and attention. Let's win somebody to Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed in the beautiful name of the Lord.